Welcome back to another episode of Conley Drop, your favorite Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac. And my name is Brian. And this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything about the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise. From the anime, to the music, to the movies, to the models, to the food, to the clothes, to the shoes, to the lore, to the life-size statues in Japan. We do it all, Isaac. That's right. We do it all. <laughs> it's Gundam. Oh. <laughs> The robot Gandam. <laughs> Somebody told me it's the robot Gandam who fights for justice across the solar system. Um, anyway, <laughs> you know, listeners, I'm pretty sure the BBC or whoever tweeted that video of the BBC saying that deleted their tweet. I saved it before it went down. So if you want a copy, just let us know. <laughs> Today we have a very special episode because we're watching a very special series that, dare I say, is darn divisive. Um, <laughs> And has inspired many an argument among the fans. Brian, what are we talking about today? Isaac, today we are going to discuss and review Mobile Suit Gundam Seed Destiny, the sequel to Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. Okay, listeners, if you remember, Gundam Seed was, in effect, almost a beat-by-beat replay of the one-year war, except in an an alternate universe, non-UC, non-universal century. takes place during the Cosmic Era, and it's about a war between a group of colonies called the Plants that have an alliance called Zaft against Earth. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we meet the second coming. We meet Kira Yamato as our main character in Gundam Seed, who was... uh, he was a Mary Sue, wasn't he, Brian? <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. He had very minimal flaws, uh, if at all, and he was just very good at sort of everything he did. Yeah, man, Brian, have you seen this show, this series more than once? No, I had I watched it uh, when it came out, you know, episode by episode. Okay, I think this series aired in October two thousand four through October two thousand five. So it's literally been 17 years since I've watched it, Isaac. When did you watch it? Wow. I can't remember. I don't think I watched it when it was released, per se. But I'm pretty sure I watched it online, and I only watched it once, and then I put it down. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) For obvious reasons. Yeah, (laughs) as for reasons we'll go into. Uh, Brian, like I was saying before we started recording, it, it almost feels like we're in like a documentary about a plane crash and like we're the, we're the technical experts they called in and like they interview us and you know, in the backgrounds, like the hangar and we're, we're talking about how everything went wrong <laughs> causing the plane to crash. Yeah. This, this is the black box review listeners of like, you know, what, what component failed and when did it fail? So, yeah. And, and let me just say, starting out the like Kira Yamato aside as being kind of a, such a shallow character, such an invincible pilot, I generally enjoyed Gundam Seed. I wouldn't say it's one of my top series, but, you know, it was a fun ride. It was a replay of the one-year war, and how do you not like the one-year war? Um, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I think we both had a fairly favorable view of Gundam Seed, even upon the rewatch. I think on the rewatch, we didn't like it maybe as much as the first time we saw it, but that's that's fair. Sometimes that happens when you rewatch something, right? You're not experiencing it for the first time. So, you know, one bad character, even if he is the main character, doesn't necessarily derail the whole series. And I do, you know, Isaac, obviously Gundam Seed, similar to Gundam Wing, there's a whole generation of Gundam fans in the United States that grew up with Gundam Seed. Like, that is their Gundam. Yeah, that was their Gundam Wing to us, essentially. Yeah. But like a plane crash, Brian, man, this series, (laughs) it starts off going into the air and we're along for the ride and we're like, okay, this isn't that bad. This is, you know, this shows some promise. And then it starts, that plane starts going down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so that'll be the goal tonight, listeners, just to get to the bottom of, you know, when did that happen and what caused it. And so tonight I think we're only going to talk about the first half of the series. So, Isaac, this is a 50-episode show, at least upon the remaster. I think, as far as I know, Isaac, the only way you can really watch this... You might be able to watch it on some of the streaming services, but the new dub, Isaac, the new dub is still oh, only God. available on the Blu-ray Ultimate set. Well. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, by the way, it's on sale right now uh, on Right huh. Stuff. It, originally, it cost $300. It's, it's on sale right now for what? $150. Oh, my God. Which <sighs> should tell you how well it's selling. <laughs> I guess there's going to be some fans out there, but at the same time, like, God, comment below if you bought it. <laughs> <laughs> comment below if you're a seed destiny fan like if you watch seed and then you're like uh that was mediocre and then they release destiny and you're like oh boy this is great i'm a big shin fan <laughs> i mean there's probably some a lot of cosmic era fans out there that just have to have it because it's part of the canon i guess but i've bought a lot of the universal century gundam on blu-ray you know gundam seed Destiny's probably not on my to buy list but no. if you're a seed destiny fan more power to you you can get it right now on sale for 150 bucks uh which is pretty good there's a, you know there's a lot of extras in it so if you like blu-ray box sets that's kind of the way to go it does have the new dub <laughs> but besides that you can watch it on crunchyroll i believe sub only in this economy god help you if you bought <laughs> a 150 dollars blu-ray set of gundam seed destiny <laughs> brian can you hold our hand and give us a rundown of the first one through 25 episodes. I can. So first we're going to start with the logline on the back of the box of the ultimate set, Isaac. The year is Cosmic Era 73. The bloody Valentine War fought between the plants, space colonies, and the nations of the Atlantic Federation has ended, and an uneasy truce has settled upon the Earth's sphere. With the signing of the Junius 7 Treaty, the world's soldiers have left the battlefield and the grisly sights of war behind. Many who fought now seek peace and refuge in the shelter of civilian life. But one boy, Shin Asuka, is finding that incredibly hard. A coordinator who lost his entire family during the Battle of Orb, he now fights with Zaft in one of their newest machines, the Impulse Gundam. Of course, Zaft is only developing these machines for defensive applications, or so they claim. But when a group of Federation operatives steal some of these prototype machines, the world is once again plunged towards war. All right. wow. I think that's a, that's a fair intro. Yeah, yeah, they hit the most of the broad strokes. That intro actually sounds better than what actually <laughs> launches us in the first episode. <laughs> okay, so if we if we go through a high-level summary here, Isaac, I split this up into, into six sections, okay? The first section I'm going to call the Armory 1 Gundam Jack. We open with our old friends, uh, Kigali and Athrun. Uh, Athrun's now in disguise. He's calling himself Alex Dino. How did you uh, did you enjoy his disguise? <laughs> his disguise, listeners, is glasses. So some sunglasses. Yeah. Well, not just that, Brian. He also has like a jack with a high collar. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same haircut. <laughs> so we open with Kigali and, and Athrun as her escort in disguise as Alex Dino, visiting the new Zaft chairman, Gilbert Durandal. And to show he's different than Patrick Zala, he's got like flowing locks of hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's much more hippie-like, right? At least yeah, he was... He really liked heavy metal before he joined politics. Anyways, <laughs> continue. They're, they're kind of talking about relations between Orb, uh, you know, Earth, and Zaft. Yeah, this is a plant military base, and uh, the, uh, she was kind of grilling him for a bit. She's like, why are you making more Gundams? Why are you making more weapons? And he was pointing out, well, the whole point of making these is, you know, for peace and self-defense. Like, I mean, come on. What, our, our, our people are kind of routinely attacked, you know? <laughs> right. 
right. The Absolutely. whole war started last time because we were attacked, and apparently we didn't have enough defenses. So, of course, we're going to keep making defensive and weapons. Yes. <laughs> However, that soon turns out to, you know, sort of backfire because a mysterious masked figure named Neo Roanoke has three extended uh, steel three new Zaf Gundams called Chaos, Gaia, and Abyss. After this Gundam jack happens, the Minerva, which is basically like a new Archangels-type ship, team engages these extended in battle and the the team on the Minerva is Shin Asko as we heard in the in the uh, logline in the Impulse Gundam uh, Luna Maria and Ray Zabarel into Zaku's Isaac so they're now just flat out stealing the name Zaku from the Universal Century which I'm sure uh, you love oh it infuriated me and it doesn't even <laughs> look like an improvement over the Zaku right it's got kind of somewhat weird dimensions it looks like a Zaku mostly but st- uh, I don't know like one shield thing is kind of too long and it's not on my list of models to buy, put it that way. So Atherin here can't help himself <laughs> during this little skirmish during this Gundam Jack. So he helps, he gets into a Zaku and helps out the Minerva team. And him and uh, Kigali actually board the Minerva in the you know chaos, and they pursue um, the Extended, who have stolen the Gundams now. They've left the colony. And while on the Minerva, Isaac... Uh, Atherin's disguise as Alex Dino basically crumbles immediately when people are like, that guy kind of looks like Atherin Zala, don't you think? And everyone's like, I think it's Atherin. Maybe it's Atherin. So it lasted like, <laughs> I don't know, three episodes tops, right? Before someone was like, I think that's Atherin Zala. Yeah, I mean, what did he expect going back to his like homeland? <laughs> Not even that, but like around the military that he used to be in. <laughs> right, no, he absolutely deserved that 100%. He didn't dye his hair. All he had was glasses. Didn't even really cut his hair. You know, so it goes. But um, so that was so part of the section one, Isaac. That was the Gundam Jack, right? Neo Roanoke and his team of three extended. Uh, this masked figure steals three new Gundams, and now we have a new conflict. And our, our some of our old heroes, Kigali and Atherin, are now thrust into it. So the next section I call the Junius Seven drop. So listeners, you may remember in the first Gundam C, Junius Seven was the colony that the Earth Alliance nuked, I, I believe, right for the Bloody Valentine uh, massacre. Yeah, they hit it, kicking off this whole war, and then that caused Zaf to invade the Earth, and then from there, this this whole war just really kept rolling on down. That's right. So this whole time, throughout the whole first show, Junior Seven's still been floating up there. It's nuked, everyone's dead inside, uh, but it's still floating there. So while Atherin and the Minerva are pursuing the three extended, we sort of have the Zaft remnants from the Patrick Zala faction at least in terms of ideology. They're, they're still bitter about the Junior 7 incident, and they're bitter that Durandal is not particularly fond of Patrick Zala. So they engineer what's left of Junior 7 to accelerate towards Earth and, and try to basically do a colony drop here, Isaac, with the Junior 7 wreckage. The Minerva team, and we do see uh, the uh, Izak Jewel team come back into it, they are ordered to go stop the Junior 7 uh, drop with me- with what are called meteor breakers, Isaac. And it's basically like, it took me back to the 1990s movie uh, Armageddon with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck, where it's basically like some drills <laughs> that go down, and you drop some bombs in a uh, <laughs> in an asteroid, and you break it apart. <laughs> and Errol Smith plays as they destroy the wreckage of Junior 7. <laughs> And so while this is happening, it becomes fairly clear pretty quickly, Isaac, that something, you know, maybe they'll break it apart, maybe they won't, but some of it is going to land on Earth. So back on Earth, we meet sort of our new Earth Alliance antagonist. Uh, His name is Lord Jibril, or Jibril. Did you say Jibril or Jibril? It's Jibril. Jibril. All right, Lord Jibril. The D is silent, Brian. Come on. You, you clearly wouldn't fit in at their country club. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely don't wear blue lipstick like him, so I don't think yeah. we'd be friends. 
<laughs> hey, Brian, you better watch yourself. You're going to get canceled. <laughs> Probably, yeah. It takes a lot of confidence to wear blue lipstick in a situation like that. <laughs> blue lipstick and while he pets his black cat, like uh, yeah. Dr. Claw from the 1980s Inspector Gadget films. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's the leader of Blue Cosmos, Isaac. Or at least uh, maybe he's not the leader of Blue Cosmos. He might be Logos. You know, I don't know at this point. But he's basically, we, we overhear a Blue Cosmos meeting. Um, which, if you remember from the first seed, those are the people that you know are an- very anti-coordinator. So this this team, this Blue Cosmos group of elites, is prepping their their way to spin this Junius Seven drop. Their plan is to blame coordinators once it hits, giving them an excuse to start another war against the plants. You know, for all-out Earth domination. You know, just let's kill all the coordinators type thing. So the Minerva and the Jewel team actually do succeed in breaking it apart, but fragments still hit. Uh, the earth and they do sort of massive damage all around the equator that's kind of where it falls and isaac when i say massive damage like those fragments just obliterated everything millions of people must have died from this right yeah like i was kind of thinking in my head like it almost feels like it did more damage than landing in one spot like say what you will about the universal century but operation british caused us to lose one major city sydney and some surrounding damage you know it, it affected some tidal events i'm sure and uh, weather patterns and killed a lot of other people collaterally but man blowing up junius 7 looks like it 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 destroyed a pretty large band going around the earth like yeah. they show yeah. us the parthenon get taken out the vatican looks like the southeast asia um you know almost everywhere jesus <laughs> yeah i mean overall it was a very cool sequence it just sort of second yeah. guessed the the uh the idea of like let's break it apart because i'm not sure that it really worked but i mean maybe it would have done so much worse we'll we'll get to that there's a line that ray says which kind of implies it almost felt like no place was spared i'd I'd put it that way yeah yeah i mean unless you're a billionaire uh blue cosmos leader (laughs) and you have like a bunker bunker. in which yeah yeah, in which case you were fine you know (laughs) but anyways continue (laughs) during this battle shin and atherin end up really not making it back to the minerva so they go through re-entry where have we seen that before isaac um, and so you're left wondering, are they alive? Are they dead? Of course they're alive. The show just started. Yeah. So the Earth Alliance then demands outrageous things from Zaft in response because they're like, hey, why did you drop this on us? We're clearly going to blame you. They basically want them to like surrender all governance basically to the Earth Alliance, You know, surrender all their weapons, stuff that's clearly Zaft is going to decline. So Zaft does decline it, and war begins anew. To Zaft's credit, though, like there's this very interesting scene where Durandal cleverly sends all these like first aid you know detachments down from the plants oh yes yes there was a small window where it looked very much in the public's eyes that wow the plants are really here to help us clearly terrorists were involved in this and then the blue cosmos spun it with all their little secret footage from um neo roanoke's unit phantom pain of all these uh bunch of gins on like junior seven like attaching boosters and stuff and there's oh Clearly, clearly those <laughs> those dirty coordinators, they just, they're just trying to kill us all, aren't they? All oh, those monsters. <laughs> yeah, I would say that overall, Chairman Durandal, he seems for the most part, at least for the first half, a fairly decent person. Yeah. In most ways. There's some questionability there on certain things. But overall, relative to the other leaders, he's definitely the best one that we've met so far. I mean, I don't know about you, but I miss Azrael. Anyway, continue. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I liked Azrael more than uh, Jabril, but... He was my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it develops. Okay, so, you know, we, we've now declared war again, all right? So this is two years later from Gundam Seed. We're going to go through the same song and dance now in Seed Destiny. Speaking of song and dance, Brian, <laughs> did you like Lacus's song as the planet was being destroyed? <laughs> <laughs> she was trying to keep their hopes up, I think. I'm trying to think, like, that must have been a good bunker that they put the kids in, right? With Lacus and Kira? Yeah. Because it's, like, right next to the ocean. Like, I don't think you want to go underground next to the ocean in the event there might be a tidal wave. Wasn't that bunker filled with water by default? No? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of risk there. I mean, there, there's a risk of a tidal wave. There's a risk of the coast is obviously close. What if, what if there's a crack and the water gets underneath your bunker? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a lot could go wrong there. So You know what? She took all her music money and made sure <laughs> that bunker was like tsunami proof. So, okay. <laughs> she, she knew what she was doing. All right. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so then this next section I'm calling the separation of Atherin and, K- and uh, Kigali. The divorce. (laughs) At this point, Atherin and Kigali are still on the Minerva. The Minerva eventually arrives at Orb. They drop off Atherin and Kigali. Atherin decides to go back to Zaf to try to sort of tamp down the Patrick Zalif support. Before he leaves, he gives uh, Kigali a ring, implying that one day they will be married. Isn't that cute? It's so great. But in the meantime, Lord Jabril wastes no time, Isaac. He's like, we're at war. They rejected our offer, so let's go nuke them. Let's just nuke them all. So he sends this fleet of strike daggers, Isaac, up to one of the plants to just nuke the hell out of this thing. They have way more nukes than they need. Did you know? Did you notice that? Like it was, no, it was not necessary. But <laughs> you know what, Brian? Sometimes you want to be sure. <laughs> Jesus. I appreciate a man who wants to be thorough and doesn't believe in half measures. And I think our <laughs> listeners will agree with me. Comment below if you agree with me. <laughs> The Gibral method, I guess. Yeah, Team Gibral, comment below. One job, one mission, one day, one hour. Yep. We're done. <laughs> so anyway, this this nuclear arsenal heads towards the plants. However, they are completely rebuffed by a Zaft weapon known as the Neutron Stampeder. There's basically this sort of uh, device equipped on a Nazca-class ship, and I read what it does, Isaac, and it's the most, like, I need this thing to do this, this thing in a certain way in my story, <laughs> so I'm going to make it. And it basically says that it controls the like the movement of free neutrons, uh, causing any nuclear weapon to instantly detonate. Which I was like, I don't think that makes any sense. But uh, okay. But, but Brian, was it made from metal mined from Mars? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Did Mikazuki have to mine it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. That's the connection. Was it pulled from Martian soil by human debris? Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Iron Blood Orphans takes place before this in the uh, in the overall timeline. Oh, there you go. So Zaft unleashes the neutron stampeder and it blows up all of the nukes. And now Jabril is upset because his plan didn't work and he kind of looks like a fool in front of uh, the rest of Blue Cosmos. And also, Isaac, I feel like they should just use that thing more often. I mean, do they only have one? I don't know. I mean, yeah, if it's small enough that you can like put it on a Nazca-class ship... Why don't you build, like, 15, and, like, we always just kind of keep one around, right? I don't know. I mean, good thing they had one close, right? Yeah. I would. Can't you just attach one to each plant? I, <laughs> yeah, that would, that would make more sense, right? We just turn it on the moment, like, we see a, an Earth Alliance fleet nearby. <laughs> <laughs> so, back at Zaft, Atherin talks to Durandal, saying, you know, hey, you're right, I am Atherin Zala. I'm here, I want to end the war. How can I help this process? While there, he meets the fake Lacusais. We find out that their uh, chairman, Durandal has employed and created a fake Lacus. Her real name is Mir Campbell, 
But this Lacus Isaac is a little bit different than the Lacus we're used to seeing. The Lacus we are used to seeing is very pacifist. She, you know, she dresses very modestly for the most part. She's very kind, soft-spoken. She does sing. But this new Lacus, she wears a lot less clothes, Isaac. She's had some work done. She's got a lot bigger <laughs> her assets here. And Durandal basically says, you know what? Judge me all you want, but her influence is, is greater than, than mine will ever be. <laughs> I don't think that holds under scrutiny, though, right? Because think about it. <laughs> Everyone at Zaft kind of looked out the window, you know, looked at the sky outside of their little their hourglass um, viewports, and they just watched a bunch of the nukes go off. I don't think you need, like, the local celebrity singer to tell you to be ready for war and to protect ourselves. <laughs> we know we have to do that. We just watched the nukes go off outside, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, I agree. I had that same note of, like, how fickle is this population that they are just under control by this pop star? But then I wrote that out and I was like, well, that, that kind of actually describes our our society. So then I thought maybe uh, he I was on something. Right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, they were, it was art imitating life. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll go along with it then. Yeah, they, <laughs> they still need the, uh, the cheerleader celebrity in front of everybody. All right. So Durandal offers Atherin the savior Gundam. He had it just laying around in a hangar where they just happened to be. And he's like, I got this thing. You want this Gundam? You know, you want to have the power to, to make the changes you want to see. And, uh, oh, and then Isaac, he makes him a faith member at the same time. He's like, all right, not only can you come back to Zaft, but I will give you this Gundam and I will make you a member of faith, which apparently is like, I, I don't know. I would describe it as being like a double O agent. Atherin is now without reproach, right? He, he outranks pretty much everyone and he can kind of do whatever he wants. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty autonomous. You kind of report to the chairman and almost to an extent you can ignore other other officers above you <laughs> if if you have something else to do or if you're busy doing something yeah, yeah it, it gives you a lot of leeway almost unlimited leeway really to do what whatever you think is best and the logo is horrible <laughs> <laughs> it's a little is it like a feather or something or a wing i i couldn't it's like a golden egg with like three white feathers or <laughs> Half of a daisy, something like that. <laughs> it's it's not very aggressive. It's very zaft. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so back at Orb, they fix up the Minerva, and but then they have to kick him out because the Orb Council now adopts a treaty or is about to adopt a treaty to join the Earth Alliance. Isaac, this is a big switch for Orb. They've always been neutral. You know, they've always been the uh, the Saint Kingdom of the Cosmic Era. But now they're going to join up with the Alliance, at least in some fashion. And the, since the Alliance is at war with Zaf now, they got to kick the Minerva out. I'd argue differently, though. I'd say that, as we all know, Orb was behind the Gundams being developed. Why? As they said in you know, Gundam Seed, Orb is, will always be a nation of Earth. So ultimately, even though I might say it's neutral, behind the scenes it's going to cast its lot in with uh, the most of Earth. So I, I think this was maybe not inevitable, but not too shocking. After the Minerva leaves, Isaac, we, we get a little bit more on what Kira, Ramius, and Walt Felton and, and Lacus are doing. In the middle of the night, Isaac, some coordinator assassins arrive, targeting Lacus. But Kira, you know, Ramius, Walt Felt, they all fend him off. And I thought it was a little maybe excessive here, Isaac. They they all brought mobile suits to do this assassination. Like, why didn't they just start with the missiles? Why did they why did they go in first? Couldn't they have just launched the missiles from the mobile suits? I can't answer for coordinator logic because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> if this was if this was a natural operation, they would have nuked that whole area. <laughs> So yeah, they, they fend them off, you know, by hand, but then also Kira gets in the freedom for the first time in the show, which they still have sort of stored, and he destroys all of the coordinator assassin mobile suits. The freedom and Kira, they're still, you know, way overpowered, apparently, in the, in this new two years later world. 
And then here, Isaac, is where I think a lot of people probably went, huh? Because at this point, we find out that uh, Kigali has apparently always been engaged to this purple-haired tool named Yuna. And Yuna and his dad are, like, powerful people on the Orb Council. And, you know, Kigali is only one person. She's not, like, the ruler of Orb, right? Like, she's the, uh, what do they call her? The representative? Yeah, she's more or less, yeah, their little ambassador. Yeah, so she has some sway, but she can't just make Orb do what she wants them to do. So she makes the tough decision, or at least what the show portrays is a tough decision, to go through with this wedding with Yuna, hoping to stop their efforts to sign this treaty. But right as she's about to say, I do, at the altar, Isaac, Kira flies through in the freedom, and he steals her away. He literally, you know, picks her up and takes her away. That was an interesting plot point, you know, stolen by the Gundam during your wedding. It also kind of foreshadows, in a way, how weak Orb currently is militarily. Like, how could that happen? How could the mobile suit just fly (laughs) into our territory? You know, back in the day, old school orbs, say what you will about, you know, their leadership and their decisions. But, man, they they had a tight lock on their territory and control, right? Yeah. How do they not know the freedom and the archangel are there, you know? Yeah. Like, they're very easy to spot. (laughs) Who pulled those permits for that big bunker under that church? You know, I I feel like you should have asked some questions. Like, why do you need this this size of a bunker? But Yeah, um, like... (sighs) Those were well-paid contractors. Continue. (laughs) So then we reach what I think I would call the Battle of Lohengrin Gate. And at this point, Isaac, I'm going to just give a preview of where I think the show went wrong. Through this point, maybe you could argue at the wedding piece. But up till now, I I feel like the show had a very tight narrative arc. You know, it had a Gundam Jack right away. It went right into the Junius 7 incident, which then went right into this, like, what do we do when we get back to Orb and Athrun going back to Zaft. I felt like that was what they pitched the show on, and they said, yeah, that'll get us through 10, 12 episodes, and then we'll do some other stuff, and then we'll get to Kira, and you know, we'll have the Kira show again. But so far, like I was pretty on board with the show through this through this stage. But then once we get here, you know, where, where the Minerva's leaving Orb, I felt like we sort of started drifting. We were doing a lot of things that maybe we didn't really need to do, or at least we were doing them too many times. So, for example, there was another battle where, like, Shin and, and Atherin liberated some base, uh, which had some good character moments, I guess, for Shin and Atherin. But then they just kind of go from battle to battle. Then we go to this battle of Lohengrin Gate where they are told they have to go to Gibraltar, but there's a mobile armor blocking their path, and so they have to, like, help the team there, you know, defeat the mobile armor, which is fine, I guess. Atherin finds out during this time about Kigali's marriage and the freedom incident. Atherin meets, you know, Mir Campbell or the fake Lacoose in front of everyone. He has to pretend that he's with her because they're still, tech- as far as everyone as Af knows, they're still technically engaged. You know, during this time, uh, a new guy joins the team. His name's Hein Westenfluss. <laughs> he pilots an orange, yes. <laughs> an orange goof. He, he, I think he wins best name in the series. <laughs> well, we're not, yeah, we're not done yet, I but I agree. That's definitely top five Thus for sure. Far, yeah. I remember his introduction being so weird, too. Like, didn't he literally kind of walk over after being in a few scenes and he hadn't been addressed? And then he was like, oh, by the way, my name's Heinz Westenfluss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm on the team yeah. now. So hello. I'm also Faith. <laughs> yeah, and he's also a Faith member. So apparently they just gave out Faith membership like candy. Isaac. Yeah, and now that you mentioned it, this is more like a double O kind of organization because apparently you don't know who a member is until they announce themselves. <laughs> Right, right. We also, during this point, the the crew is sort of relaxing on the shore, and Shin meets Stella, uh, who's one of the extended. The uh, extended in this show are Stella, Owl, and Sting. Right. 
And to their credit, I think these three extended are much more interesting than the three extended that we met in Seed, the original Seed. Yeah, it, it seems like the Earth Alliance has, yeah, they've kind of worked out some of the kinks in the program because the, these ones are much more put together. The other ones, right. they, they all seem like, you know, they were 20 minutes away from a panic attack or, you know, they're, they're needing a dose of whatever whatever juice they're being given. But but these <laughs> ones, it looks like it's much more um, controlled, much more efficient. Uh, I think they mentioned something about, like, they're able to control their their memories or somehow, I don't, I don't know, something like that. They can remove yeah. memories. Yeah, they basically, yeah. like, delete their memories every night, right? Something like that. Or they can selectively change things when they... They go into their little glass eggs to go to sleep. <laughs> yes, they're glowing glass eggs. Yeah, yes. But um, to his credit, Neil Roanoke seems to treat them fairly well, about as well as you could expect, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. He seems to be, a f- other than making them fight, Yeah. F- for the most part, he treats them okay, yeah. uh, compared, at least compared to what we saw uh, Asriel do in, in the original scene. I don't think we really remember Asriel interacting with them much. They might have been beneath him, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, clearly to Azrael, they were just pawns on the chessboard, but yeah. So Shin meets Stella, and she falls off this cliff. He, he jumps in. She can't swim, so he saves her from drowning. And they end up sort of having this night together, drying their clothes. Uh, very similar to Atherin and uh, Kigali in the, in the original seed. However, he accidentally says her trigger word, Isaac, which is die, which practically, that's a terrible trigger word. Yeah. You're going to hear that in everyday speech. So. Right. Maybe even more so in the military, you're going to hear that word. Uh, but anyway, they, you know, it works out, and the Minerva finds Shin, and he gives her back to the extended uh, because he doesn't know that they're the extended at that point. So then we go off to like yet sort of another random battle, Isaac, and this time Jibril's just like, fine, Orb, you know what? You go get rid of the Minerva. So this is the Battle of the Black Sea. Kigali's very upset now that she find, when she finds out that Orb is going to attack the Minerva. The whole Archangel, everybody, they all intervene. Kira shows up in the Freedom, and he just runs like roughshod over the entire cast, Isaac. He disables the Impulse, the Abyss, the Gaia, and uh, Hein's Goof. Um, and in the process, you know, this guy we just met, Hein, he's angry. He got his, I think, arm chopped off or something by Kira, so he goes in to hit Kira. But Stella's mad because she got messed up, so... She jumps in and kills Hein. So this very much upsets Atherin. Everyone is very confused now because the Minerva was about to fire this giant, uh, what, what do they call their their big weapon? The tan the Tannhauser, I think? Yeah. Well, depending on the dub, like Toyenhauser or something. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez. In the new dub, it was the Tannhauser. So yeah. uh, they were about to fire the Tannhauser at the Orb fleet, but you know, Kira blew it up, and then he started to dismantle people on both sides so now orb earth and uh zaft are all very confused and now isaac we we get a sense of the things to come here because i think the next episode the intro changes a little bit and the strike freedom is now in the intro almost represented as like the main character of the show the freedom is being referenced by the post episode announcer talking about the the next episode so it feels like there's a main character shift coming or at least the protagonist shift coming which is very odd right you know we we haven't seen a whole lot of kira now up to this point, and now all of a sudden it feels like he might be our our main guy going forward. Did you get a sense of that on this second run through? Yeah, I mean, just him coming out of the sky, the, his role in the story as it just becomes so Kira focused. I I really wasn't a fan of it. I, not that I'm a big Shin fan. I'm not. It's just it felt very much like literally something happened when they were writing it, and they're like, oh my god, Shin's not working out. It's too angsty 
too focused on like his yeah. his you know his dead family. It's let let's switch back to Kira. Kira was you know everybody loves Kira. He's the the perfect hero. It's very much a case of you know what are we doing? I don't remember Zeta going like this. Why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> Right. You had a blueprint and you strayed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, is you know, up to this point, I would say that the, the pilots in the show were fairly skilled. Maybe Luna Maria less so because she just kind of fires the gun and Ray just kind of sits there. But overall, I think all the extended, Atherin Shin, everyone was pretty well represented. And then you just had Kira float down from the sky in his Gundam that's two years old and just dismantle all of them in like, I don't know, less than 30 seconds, right? Yeah, it's the second coming of Kira Yamato. So Kira's back. That's the lesson there. And then we get to the last section of this of the first half here, which I'm calling the argument and the discovery. So after this, after Kira intervenes, you know, Atherin is pissed. He's like, you confused everybody. I have to go talk to you guys. So he goes off to meet the Archangel crew. He yells at them for intervening. and But the Archangel crew tells him about the assassins that went after Lacus. And they cannot comprehend Atherin helping Zaft and not wanting to come back with them to, to Orb or to the Archangel. However, Luna Maria f- followed Atherin here. We don't know it at the time, but it was at Talia's orders. Uh, she's the captain of the Minerva, also a faith member. When she follows Atherin, she's, she's recording the conversation. So, that, you know, because they're talking about the fake Lacus, she finds out about Mir. Uh, which is a secret she's going to hold for a little bit here, going into the back half. Uh, so that's kind of what's happening with Atherin. So he, he makes contact with Kira, and then they kind of just agree to go their separate ways. He's like, please don't intervene again. And they're like, well, why don't you come back with us? But he doesn't go back with them. He goes back to Zaft Isaac. So they split, and they I don't feel like they really resolved anything, right? It was just kind of like, it was a check-in. It almost descended into a lot of drama in the middle, and very little about the war. Like, we know it's happening. We know... See, this is why a lot of this doesn't really make sense in like based on what we saw in the last season. Because from what I remember, Zav ran out of manpower. That's why they got beaten back to space. And all of a sudden they suddenly have enough manpower to go back down to Earth. You know, now that they almost got nuked and now they're they're fighting again, they're taking over territory again and the Earth Alliance is on the back foot. You know, what the heck's going on? And then on top of that, we've got all this drama that doesn't really it makes sense you know it's it's all just uh it's it's a bit done wrong yeah they, they get they sort of whack not poetic but about concepts about war and Atherin's upset that you know he tells uh kagali to focus on um you know getting that treaty nullified or get get orb out of that treaty and he, he can't believe that they don't have confidence in him to do the right thing at zaft and you know kira's like well i don't want to fight you and i, I don't know it just it seems like they're kind of all doing their own thing yeah, the whole Kagali thing's weird too because it seemed like everybody at Orb was on board with what her father did and their government did by, you know, sticking to their values and not really wanting to join the war and fighting to the end to stay neutral. But now it's like Kagali is being strong armed to, to the marriage and she's not getting much respect from the new government at Orb. You know, where did these people come from? Like, are we, are we to, are, is it implied that Blue Cosmos is behind them? That's sort of the, uh, the A story, I guess, at this point, you know, Atherin and the Archangel crew, but our B story is back at, with the Minerva crew, which, you know, who we started the show with, and Ray and Shin get this sort of random assignment, Isaac, 
to go investigate some Alliance research facilities. And they go in and they find that it's basically one of the facilities where they made the extended and there's just all these people in there extended and doctors that have been massacred. They're all dead. They're all rotting. It's pretty disgusting. And while in there, Ray has a flashback in which Durandal is in it and it is in some sort of medical facility. So now you're thinking like, oh, Durandal has something to do with Ray. Ray's already kind of weird, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then their sort of raid on this extended facility gets the word of that gets back to the extended and owl one of the extended has a flashback i guess is very traumatizing to him to his quote mother at the lab and then his flashback sort of causes stella to remember shin and so you know she bolts out the door when she remembers shin because the her memory of shin had been previously erased as as you stated by the golden egg orb that they sleep in um, and she takes off in the gaia to find shin but when she gets there and they don't know it's stella so shin cuts open the cockpit revealing that Stella is the pilot of the Gaia. So that's that's where we leave off. <sighs> so I don't even know where to begin, Isaac. I guess we can go from, from top to bottom here, but where would you like to start? What, what was the first thing you wanted to talk about? I guess the characters, what we think about the new characters. We got we got a good amount of them. Um, to, to this series' credit, they really didn't skimp out on the new characters. They don't stay with us <laughs> through the whole series. Some of them don't. <laughs> that's true. But uh, we got some new ones. Shin is... What what do you think about Shin, Brian? This this angsty, revenge driven protagonist. I definitely think he's a breath of fresh air. Maybe not good air, but it's fresh. <laughs> I mean, I think overall Shin was for the most part okay for this story. Again, like you said, he's not really my my favorite or anything. Um, he's probably a little too angsty i think the right way to do an angsty protagonist is like they can be angsty but then when they i feel like at some point they have to change their angst like they have to grow a little bit and i I feel like shin is just all all angst all the time right like no matter what happens he yells about it right if if uh kagali does something good he yells at her If, if she does something bad he yells at her like there's no there's no winning with shin so i think that's maybe what i don't like about shin um but yeah he's definitely sets himself apart from atherin and kira which is probably the goal so I think from that perspective, they succeeded. Yeah, definitely. I guess he kind of goes along with how this series is very colorful visually and the animation styles. It, it's got its own sort of, um, not positive energy, but it's got its look to it, <laughs> which is a bit campy, colorful, um, compared mm-hmm. to other series maybe. And Shin's just, you know, the opposite tone of all that. So it's... It, it, he's an interesting character. I'll definitely say that. And choosing yeah. someone with such an axe to grind as the main character, at least to start us for the first quarter, was an interesting choice. I, I don't care much for him as a character, but boy, what a backstory. Yeah, I think he's a decent character. I think he's just hard to like. And that maybe that's the problem if he's your protagonist. Yeah. You're sort of cheering for all of the people around him rather than him, even though he's your main character. Yeah. And, uh, oh boy. So what do you, what do you think about Luna Maria, our... Or Blandy McBland <laughs> pilot. Oh, that really? Joins them. So I don't think much of her as a pilot, at least in terms of what we've seen so far, because she she unfortunately inherited in, uh, inherited the Buster strategy of she just gets her big gun, does the same firing animation every battle, and like mostly misses. Yeah. But over as a character, I liked her. I mean, she was always very inquisitive. She was the first person to spot that uh, Atherin was Atherin and not Alex Dino. <laughs> she you know followed him on his little mission she was always the one asking the right questions i don't know i think if i had it my way atherin would have ended up with uh luna maria wow i like her best wow yeah okay i mean i'll definitely say she's a loyal friend and like a good 
a good person on your squad to have around. She's trustworthy and stuff. But other than that, I thought she was pretty bland, pretty, eh. I liked her because she yells at Shin all the time. <laughs> She's not afraid to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she fights back. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, I like her design too. Like, I don't know why, but her, her, her uniform is thigh highs, which that doesn't seem like something that the military should allow. I like her character design. Her, her, uh, it's very unique. You know, she's got the shorter hair with the one thing in the front. I thought she was uh, memorable, so yeah. I, I liked her. I wish Isaac, going back to Seed, I wish she had a Gundam. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, she's in the red uniform. Like, you think if anyone's going to get one, it, it should be her. But no. Also, speaking of the red uniform, I think, Brian, she is our first elite pilot that is a woman. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's even more infuriating, That's why it bothers right? me that she doesn't have a Gundam. <laughs> yeah, because on the Minerva, you've got four elite pilots, right? I'm not going to count Hein because he was there for like five minutes. But you've got Atherin, Shin, who both got Gundams, and then two people that have Zakus. Now, I guess they're trying to elevate the Zaku that like it's, it's a pretty good suit or whatever. No. <laughs> but the minute that you put two non-Gundams with two Gundams, the other two people that don't pilot the gundams are automatically like taken down a peg yeah i'm i'm pro zaku and even i know the zaku's not that great like next to a gundam (laughs) and look look listeners i know she gets the impulse later that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is she should have had one from the outset yeah what we're saying is clearly is the elephant in the room is that they put another glass ceiling after she broke the glass ceiling <laughs> they, and they, yeah, like yeah. she got there, put, and then they're like, "You still can't have one. Yeah. You gotta have a." They Zaku. put the glass between her and a Gundam. <laughs> it was dual pane yeah. glass. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> dual pane glass ceiling. <laughs> but um, speaking of glass ceiling breakers, what did you think of the captain of the Minerva, Talia Gladys? Talia, I love Talia. I think she's great. She's a good middle ground between uh, Ramius and uh, Nataral from Gundam Seed. Uh, she makes the hard decisions when she has to make them. Uh, you can tell when she's broken up about it. You know, you got a taste of her character, Isaac, when she sent the Minerva in after Junius 7. She was still going to take the Minerva down and fire at Junius 7 as long as she could to keep breaking it up. You know, she made the decision to put the, the crew in that situation regardless. She knew that it was sort of this world-ending uh, event, and sh- they had to do whatever they could do to stop it. I do wonder how much hair gel she uses every morning, getting her <laughs> hair like that. I think it's very difficult. Um, but what what were your thoughts on Talia? It's a hard to follow up after uh, Nataral and uh, Ramius. Yeah. I guess she was okay. But, she, I mean, the person who she's next to, I don't know what his rank is, the XO, yeah, oh, yeah. co-captain. No, not he's not the co-captain. Whatever, the first mate. Whatever, sub officer Arthur yeah. Trine, number yeah, one. He's oh god, he annoys me to no end. Like I hear him talk, and I like I want someone to throw like a manual at him or something. You know, like <laughs> God, he's so annoying. But yeah, next to next to him, she comes off as like the the elite captain. <laughs> Well, they use him purely for comedy, basically, don't they? And just like filler lines. Because remember, there was a point where you you find out that he's like a huge fan of of Mir Campbell of of the fake Lacus, <laughs> and and Talia's like, "Give me a break! You can't, you know, you can't be serious." Like I thought that was funny, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's kind of like a goober, right? Yeah, he has no no business being the number one on that ship. I'm not I'm not too familiar with like how our armed forces react to the visits by the celebrities, but man, those Zaf soldiers <laughs> went nuts when they saw her singing, right? <laughs> Look, Durandal's onto something, man. Yeah, I guess he's a smart man. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, smart men, what did you think of our almost the first villain that we see, uh, Neil Roanoke? 
So I think this is a big discussion point here, oh, I think, boy. for me. This is our masked man, right? That's that's the Gundam trope. Every Gundam has to have a masked man. Yeah, let, let's call it what it is, Brian. He's clearly a Zach's Marquis copy. <laughs> they stole yeah. the mask and the hair, and they slapped it into Gundam Seed Destiny. <laughs> uh, let's also just say what is very clear. It's clearly Mulaflaga, so he's clearly not dead. <laughs> oh, I don't think that was a very well-kept secret. I think as soon as you see him, especially as soon as you hear him talk, it's very clear that it's Moo. At the same time, though, like some people must be like kind of doing some mental gymnastics, right? Because they're like, how can he be alive? We watched him vaporize. Well, that's part of the yeah. problem. How can he be yeah. alive? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that, that totally undermines yeah. probably the best part of Seed. Yeah. That was the emotional and plot climax of Seed. And they just, they undercut it in episode one of Seed Destiny by bringing it back, in my opinion. Not that I don't love Moo, but you know. You revealed yourself, Brian. You're anti-Neo. Anti-Neo Roanoke. <laughs> well, okay, so in the show, I think he's fine. I like him when he's on screen. My criticism of him is two things. One, I don't think he does much. He doesn't do enough, Isaac. Why isn't he out there more? Why isn't he piloting more often? He's really just sending the extended out there and they keep failing. He goes out there once or twice in the Wyndham. He doesn't even have a Gundam himself. Ah. So that's a little... I, th- I felt like that was a little lackluster. That's... Yeah. And two, from a story, like, architecture perspective... Did they introduce him too early to reveal? Because, like, as soon as you introduce this guy, you instantly know it's Moo. So should they have waited on that? Or, like, was episode one too soon? Because he's not doing a whole lot besides commanding the extended. So why not just have Jibril do it? Yeah, now that you mention it, like, it it almost could have been any surviving officer from the Archangel or something, right? Or from the Dominion, right? You know, if, if they showed if they right. showed like one ship escaping and like a familiar face on it, it could have been them. For someone that's a, such an amazing pilot, he really just sits in the captain's chair like every episode. Yeah, that's a good point, Brian. What did you think about Neo? I like his name, Neo Roanoke's pretty yeah. cool. I mean, I mean, you're the history guy, Isaac. Can you tell everyone what Roanoke is? If they sure, don't it was one of the early colonies in North America that was lost and we're not really sure what happened to it i think there's some theories that well it wasn't so much lost as it was abandoned the people didn't really disappear so much as they weren't really cutting it too well and they decided to just make common cause and go live with the native americans in the area um (laughs) which who could blame them right right? who who would know better um so (laughs) so yeah that that's what happened to roanoke yeah and so that's why it works right i mean you know you, you just said it like what the heck happened to roanoke same thing here. What the heck happened to Moo? Why is he alive? So it, it kind of fits, but um, it's a cool name. I, I like it. I mean, I like this mask. I thought it was fine in the pantheon cool design. of the masked yeah. people. So I, I like him. I just wish he would do more, and they wouldn't waste our time with having him there, not addressing the elephant in the room for 25 episodes. Yeah, I, I almost wish it was like he was in like an iron mask, like a Corozo Rona type mask, and you know that really held the suspense. Mm, like, yeah. oh my God, who's in there? They clearly, they clearly have knowledge of the the Archangel and everything that happened before. What character is this? And then you know later on he takes off the mask and it's like a burnt Patrick Zala. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. And then our mind would have been blown. We'd be like, oh my God, they brainwashed Patrick Zala. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been quite the Yeah, feat. he was okay, and bringing him <laughs> back, yeah, that does kind of cheapen his sacrifice. I think you're right. I think if, if they had done something to hide the identity a little better, mm-hmm. I think I would like it more. But yeah, I think in the first episode or two, he fights with Ray in the in the newer version of the old Mobius mobile armor that he used to uh-huh. use. It just it seems odd to like make it that clear who it is, but still keep the mask on that long. Well, we'll see where that leads in the story. But um, one of our other characters is uh, Ray Zabarel. 
What did you think of Mr. Yes. No Nonsense yes. himself, Ray Zabarel? <laughs> I'm not a huge Ray fan, at least up until this point. I think he's actually a wasted character slot because I think I counted three real times when you get glimpses of why he might be in the story through episode 25. I think it's odd to have a character that like does some decent stuff. Like he seems like a pretty good pilot. Yeah. But like, what are they going for here with his long story? If they're only, I think in episode three, he had some reaction to Durandal that was very odd. It was, gave you pause and said, okay, well something's clearly going on there. He had another very weird reaction. He like hugged him at dinner in episode 19. And then in episode 25, when they finally find the facility, he has that flashback. But, like, that's not a lot for a character that was in almost every episode. I really wish they had swapped him out with Hein uh, earlier in in the show, or at least just done away with Hein altogether, because Hein was introduced too late, and then he was killed, I think, an episode or two later in, like, the first real battle that he was in. I just don't understand having Ray that long, not using him, making this big deal about Hein, and then killing him off right away. If I had seen Hein longer, I would have cared more about his death, and then that time with which Ray was on screen, if it was Hein, it would have mattered more. I don't know. What What do you think about Ray? That's a good way to fix it. Like, almost like it should have been Hein, he dies, and then Ray comes as a replacement or something, you know? Yeah. I guess he's kind of the solid pillar of their little three-man team. He's very yeah. no-nonsense, almost bland, and really is gung-ho about following orders to the letter. I guess he's the the compliance voice in on Shin's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> it almost feels like he was the concept of a character they wanted to be the main character because he would have like flashbacks of you know his youth and all that he's very gung-ho about the war but then he starts realizing more and more things and learns about his his real history and and then that's how the series would conclude you know the big revelation but but no he's a side character that goes through that whole journey on his own yeah that very well could be because he does have a big place in the story it just feels like they're taking too long to get to it. What do you think about the two kind of, uh, well, one of them definitely is a chess master. The other one at least hopes he is. Uh, the, the two kind of overarching <laughs> masterminds in the series, uh, Gilbert Durandal and Jabril. Let's do Durandal first. Or Durandal, I'm sorry. <laughs> I like Durandal a lot. I, th- I thought he was good. Um, he was refreshing. Patrick Zala and Azriel, they were very clearly both sort of evil Neither of them really kept you in suspense with their plans. Yeah. But Durandal seems vaguely good enough that you're kind of like believing what he's selling. Uh, yeah. But, you know, every now and then there's a little like chink in the armor where you're like, oh, maybe this, maybe something is up about this guy, like with the assassins and with the fake Lacus. I can't like totally trust this guy. And he's in some of these flashbacks with Ray. So I like sure. Durandal. thought he was good. Jabril, eh, I like how they were trying to portray the Earth elite, you know, in their little country club bunker. It literally was like a country club atmosphere, Isaac. Uh, I'm glad you said country club because that was how I thought of it, too. You know, it reminded me of Oz, how everyone, he kind of dresses very aristocratic, kind of over the top. Yeah. Uh, His cat sort of put me over the edge. What did you think of the cat? It became a little much, yeah. Too too Bond villain at that point. Like <laughs> with with Durandal, you know, it's it's very vague. With him though, it was uh, it, it was almost like Azrael taken up to like a new level. 
which was very uh, mustache twirling, <laughs> right? That's, no, that's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, mustache twirling. Uh, yeah, I mean, which is kind of weird because he's so different compared to everybody else in um in their little blue cosmos group, right? They they all seem very um kind of clean cut, traditional, you know, what you'd expect looking. And then man, Jabril must have some pull because he just he's so flashy and flamboyant. <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah, a very interesting uh, yeah. A, a very interesting character choice. I'm surprised they didn't choose like you know, the, someone else in the Azrael family. Like it, it would have been interesting to pick a woman, you know, and and she's actually behind it all. You know, she she was the level above Azrael, you know, and and that would have been its own take. Or maybe it was Azrael's mom. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have Jabril, and he's over the top, and Durandal is. I'd say Durandal's more a much more refined character than him. Even the way Durandal acts, because you can tell something happened in the Zapt government. Durandal has nowhere near the 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 single command that the Patrick Zala did. He kind of has to do things with consensus a lot with the uh, the right. committee that they have, as opposed to Zala, who at a certain point it was there was kind of a well, there literally was a coup, and he was telling everybody what to do. I guess in a way, Jabril's also the same way. He they they do kind of have to agree at the Blue Cosmos side what what's actually going to happen with the alliance. But um, a lot of the times, it seems like the only one with ideas is Jabril. <laughs> so. And I also think it's interesting that there's a a difference between the two in the sense that through at least episode twenty five, Durandal hasn't really been defeated per se, whereas Jabril like got stomped on by that neutron stampeder and like embarrassed. So. You know, one of them clearly seems better at their job than the other. You know, I don't know if it'll stay that way through the end, but if I had to bet on one right now, it would be Durandal, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it, it seems like the Earth Alliance didn't really innovate at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Zaft, they, they kind of expected, you know, at some point we need to be ready for another nuclear attack. How do we stop it other than sending a bunch of, you know, gins and, and Gundams after the, the missiles? Well, right. we'll build this new defense system, as opposed to... Uh, the, the Earth Alliance, they were just like, well, uh, nukes work last time. We'll try them again. <laughs> <laughs> Any other new characters? No, that's about it. The extended seemed very um, almost bland. Like, uh, of course, they're going to be kind of gung ho. And then they did the whole bizarre thing with uh, with Stella being like childlike, you know, and yeah. or stellar, depending on your <laughs> dub yeah, or your, your your sub. But yeah, I always thought that was so bizarre making her like the the child soldier thing. You know, she has the mind of a child, kind of. Mm-hmm. But uh, whatever, her brains half cooked anyways because of their the way they run things with the extended pilots. So. Uh, they were okay for the story to keep things moving, but you know, we, we know they won't be there forever. (laughs) God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Now, speaking of the earth Alliance, not innovating Isaac, I was very confused about something through most of the show until I looked it up and I guess I just missed it, but as part through, through probably, I don't know, 20 episodes of the show. I kept wondering to myself, where are all the end jammer cancelers? Everybody knows how to build an Enjammer canceler now because it was leaked to the Alliance uh, last, you know, in, in Gundam Seed. Why are all the Gundams still using this sort of battery power stuff? Why are they not all like the Freedom and the Justice? And it turns out that they were banned as part of the Junia 7 Treaty. Did they make a big deal about that and I just missed it or what? Are you supposed to know that somehow? No, I imagine you read that on the wiki. Right? I did. You had to read I did. that somewhere. Yeah, they, they banned all military applications of NJammer cancelers as part of the Junius 7 Treaty. That's interesting, because before... Hmm, 
my, my head cannon was well if you have end jammers and end jammer cancelers it, it it's almost as if the end jammers don't exist anyways right so that's i assume they were on the missiles that um the earth alliance had right and i assume they're all over the earth now and jammer cancelers you know allowing uh, power plants to work at full capacity so yeah. yeah i i just assumed it was something that was with the, with the cancelers being earth technology now that problem was solved but i guess it would make sense that, man now i'm curious what else did they agree to on the treaty I don't you know. know. <laughs> there should have been a treaty episode that fills you in about, you know, what what was and wasn't allowed, right? Because in the first episode, yeah. when the, the Gundams were Exposition. out of power, yeah. I was like, oh, well, we're still doing this power thing? Like, I thought we got over that. Yeah, right? There should be reactors in each one, but I guess not. But yeah, I mean, and I don't really care, per se. It's just that that was a big plot point in the last show. And so it feels weird going backwards. But what do I know? Yeah, what can you do? I think maybe another, like, overall critique I have of this show, Isaac, is that this show it doesn't take place that long in the future from the last show and the characters are basically doing the same thing and we sort of have the same sides going at it again is that a mistake should they have had more time pass like if you compare it to the most analogous series which is zeta gundam eight years past seven to eight years yeah this is what two and yeah this is only two years and the sides were different the world had changed more i feel like it's too samey yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like they felt like they struck gold with Seed and they had a good run because it was the one-year war. They kind of knew what they were doing. And then they said, okay, let's go back to the same setting and let's make a new series. Unfortunately, they didn't stick the landing and some of their choices are pretty bizarre. Instead of following the Zeta model, they decided to do something that was kind of half, not not even half Zeta, but it, it was kind of its own thing, but it didn't really work well. I it feels like the war shouldn't have started so soon if it ended so badly so recently, right? Right. I mean, they just signed the treaty. Like, they signed the treaty less time ago than the pandemic has been going on in our world. It's yeah. not that long. Yeah. Like, it would be fresh in people's mind. Like, if to start a war again after two years, it, that has to seem outlandish to most of the population. It seemed to me that Zaf lost so many people. Not even Zaf, just Zaf. But Zaf lost so many people in the last war that they kind of had to surrender or at least go to peace. And Genesis killed so many people on the moon yeah. that they also had to go to peace. <laughs> <laughs> so like, how did, how was the military rebuilt so quickly on both sides in like two years? You know, it takes a while to like grow an 18 year old, <laughs> so <laughs> let alone rebuild ships and you know, right. everything else. But here we are, we're ready for another all-out war that's the day one starts with nukes man yeah oh boy i you, you say what you will about blue cosmos and and zaft but blue cosmos is really lucky that zaft <laughs> didn't have you know another genesis ready to go right from that moment i agree i feel like by using those nukes you're inviting the next genesis right there really isn't a faction in blue cosmos that's like more moderate right like there, there wasn't a, a group of guys saying you know what even if the coordinators are behind this, like I don't think we should nuke them outright. Maybe we should, you know, prepare for war and move our fleets near them. But yeah, there could be unintended consequences of trying to wipe out every plant. <laughs> right. Absolutely. They should change their motto. So instead of for a blue and pure world, they should change it to all nukes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's their only go-to weapon. Uh, they they have one button, Isaac. It's just a nuke button. They don't have like other commands. It's just just a a big red button that says nuke. <laughs> you know what? If they had a second wave of nukes ready, they might have won. Oh yeah, that's fair. They only had one neutron stampede. Maybe in fear they held back their nukes, but at the same time, I'm surprised one gung ho member didn't say, "You know what? We have a second wave in reserve. Let's attack now again." <laughs> yeah, everyone in this show is very obsessed with like sending all the forces at once like that was what Yuna was doing in the uh battle of the black sea he's like just send everything we have and the, like all the commanders were like that's a terrible idea sir like we, sh- we shouldn't do that he's like just do it anyway <laughs> and then clearly jabril sent all the nukes at once you know yeah yeah man isaac what do you think though about the first like i don't know 13 15 episodes you know of the the, the initial gunham jack the junius seven drop I thought that was a fairly tightly written narrative, and like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, "Okay, you know, like this this seems pretty good. Like this is a this is a solid show so far. Like I'm, I'm on yeah. board. Like I feel like they really had a plan there." Absolutely, I was having a good time. You know, we start with the reverse Gundam Jack, right? The faction that did the jacking last time, now they're being jacked. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we we see the the Earth Alliance behind it this time. That was cool. They're they're kind of being portrayed more as the direct villains this time, with Neo Roanoke looking all sinister. Mm-hmm. We have the really cool drop happening. Um, we have the aftermath leading up to the war. The quick little space battle and the nukes happening. Everything was going great, and then. The invasion on Earth started, and then things just slowed down into really kind of, you know, head-scratching drama. And then Kira, of course, returning, and Shin getting pushed to the side. And now it's back being the Kira story and the Atherin story. You know, too, too many main characters. That's really what's happening here, I think. I think at the, the heart of it, it's there's too many main characters. Some of the side characters they bring in are just either underdeveloped or they, they really could have shined if we focused on one main character. Yeah. But here we are. And since they brought back main characters from the last series, that means they have to bring back the side characters from the last story. <laughs> so we get Ramius again, Waldfield, every, everybody else, the, all the old faces, they, they really come back. And then at a certain point, it's like, well, how is this still happening? How, how have two years gone by? And like the earth has just tolerated the, the archangel just, you know, hiding around, you know, that right. that's insane. That would never would have happened. You know, how, how come these side characters have just almost not really moved on? They've been kind of like waiting for the next war. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, towards uh, part two of this first half, th- th- it really starts starting to stumble. You know, and I do like the use of Junius 7. That was a good use of the existing lore, right? If it's just sitting up there, that's a good idea to drop it, right? That's, that's like... Um, you know how, like, in Universal Century, you always blow up your Gundam by the end? Or you always fire the super weapon? Yeah. That's, like, a good use of the Cosmic Era lore. So I, I liked that. So I'm, I'm just confused, Isaac, how they went from such a tightly written first half of this first half to then just, like, you know, this muddled mess or whatever. Like, you mentioned too many main characters. Whose story in this first half did you care the most about? I guess for me it was Atherin. Interesting. Yeah. For me, I was going with Shin. Yeah. Because Atherin, you know, I felt like he was going to be just kind of a Shar thing, kind of half in the background. But for me, I was like, okay, they're doing something different with Shin, the man out for revenge. Let's see where this goes. I assume it'll evolve into like a story of forgiveness instead of revenge. <laughs> but then Atherin showed up and it becomes like a wedding drama that has almost nothing to do with Shin. Yep. And then Kira returns, which has even less to do with Shin. And yeah, this is where we end up. And on a side note... I wonder if Patrick Zala's spinning in his grave for not thinking of using the wreckage of Junior 7 to attack her. (laughs) 
He's like, oh my god, I, I could have thought of that. Instead, I built this stupid energy weapon. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so much cheaper. I could have met the budget. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but like he had like the control of Zaf's entire space navy. Like That drop operation would have been so easy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I listened to these idiots that told me to make a space laser. <laughs> so, you know what else was cool about Junior 7 is that it looked, like, visually so cool compared to the normal crappy CGI that they used for the normal plants. Yeah, they they hand drew it or something, right? I don't know. It looked way better, though. Because, you know, when they do the little intro where they show yeah. the plants, it's, like, very, like, late 90s CGI to me. But then when you go to the Junior 7 scenes, it's, it looks great. Yeah, it, it looks like they hand drew it. I'm going to say they did, but... Yeah, it's like it's not like they're they're not even dropping the whole hourglass. They're just dropping like one of the the bottom sides of it. Yeah, you know the end sides of it, the cap. Yeah, and to that <laughs> point, so Ray made a comment that like if this drops, it will be a world-ending event. Like nothing, you know, no life will be left. And like I don't know, I looked up the dimensions, and it didn't seem that different from an O'Neill colony. So listeners, if you know like why Junius Seven <laughs> is so much worse than dropping a universal century O'Neill cylinder. Let us know, I guess. I mean, I mean, this is sci-fi, so you can just take that stance and have it be accepted as truth. And maybe that's the point, but yeah, Brian, I'm going to go on a step further and create at this very moment, the colony drop law. The colony <laughs> drop law says whenever a colony is about to drop, everyone will say this will destroy the earth forever. But afterwards, the earth will survive. <laughs> <laughs> therefore causing another attempt to drop a colony which also does not kill the earth even though everybody assumes it will kill the earth (laughs) as we have seen multiple times in the universal century where the earth is actually impervious to colony drops and asteroid drops that's fair we hereby adopt the colony drop law there you go (laughs) isaac and brian's colony drop law No matter what happens to the Earth, it's going to keep living. It's like a space cockroach. Like, it can't really be killed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So I have, like, two other major critiques of this show, Isaac. Let's hear them. The first is Kigali. The Kigali in this show is not the Kigali that I watched in Gundam Seed. The Kigali that I watched in Gundam Seed would have told Yuna to, like, take a f***ing hike and just, like, punched him. You know, like, who is this wet blanket Kigali that we're watching in this show? I get that that was, like, the plot they wanted, but that's not the character that we spent 50 episodes watching in the last one, in my opinion. What do you think? I think you're right, yeah. I don't know exactly what happened in, like, the manga side stories between now and the previous series, but it's almost like um, she's clearly been neutered by her... Well, maybe that's the wrong word. I'll just (laughs) stick to it. She's clearly been neutered by the new political leadership in Orb. You know, she's very much trapped as like the the ambassador and like the the very mention of like her father's decisions really really stings her because of how much she disagrees with it right and shin his whole little his little rant on her really was like the knife in her heart right and he started just twisting it by like how much her family's decisions had impacted his own family's ultimate death yep. so maybe maybe years of that from other people like shin has just really weighed her down and and blunted how headstrong she used to be because as far as I'm concerned, she should be the one running Orb. Right, yeah. Clearly, you know, if you keep watching the show and a little bit further, and even during the Battle of the Black Sea, you know, a lot of the pilots are like, oh, is that Representative Kigali? Like, you know, we should listen to her, blah, 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 but they can't because they get their orders, and you know, but they're very conflicted. So she, clearly she still has a little pull. 
it's one thing for her to be weighed down, Isaac, but then it's another thing for her to like agree and like try to go through with the marriage thing. Like I think that's where I drew the line. Like that's where they stepped over the believability with Kigali for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy that. It was to an extent it cheapened her because it we had to watch strong, powerful Kigali turn into damsel in distress Kigali. Right. Yeah, which was uh, not something I think we should have seen and was very out of character. Okay, the second thing, Isaac, is I think most of the plot of this show could be solved with emails. <laughs> Explain yourself, um, Brian. Well, like, <laughs> why does Atherin have to go meet Kira in some, like, clandestine way where they, you know, arrange a meeting and all this stuff? Can't he just email him and be like, hey, man, what was the deal? Like, why'd you, you know, why'd you show up in the fight? Look, this this show was made in 2004. We had email back then, Isaac, you know. It wasn't like a foreign concept. I'm not even talking about text messages. I understand radio waves may be messed up due to all the, the end jammers and, and whatnot or something, whatever explanation you want to pull off, but I'm sure they, they've got an internet there somehow. There's no mobile communication in this show. They can't say, you know, Atherin can't send a message to, to Kigali asking her what's up. He can't talk to Kira. They can't just ask each other stuff. That solves most of the stuff here. Maybe, Brian, there's Minowski particles interfering oh. with all the communication attempts. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't know what to say, but yeah, cl- clearly th- this happened in Iron-Blooded Orphans, if you remember. Like, they could have resolved their differences with like a one-day conversation, you know? Oh, yeah. That's probably true. Yeah, okay. And so, sorry, I lied. So, I have, I have three critiques. The third one is maybe I missed it. Maybe they said this. But for almost the whole time that the Minerva is on Earth, is their ability to fly broken? Like, when they're sitting in these naval battles and they're just sitting there in the water, or they're, like, flying really low in that Gibraltar uh, problem at the gate, or uh, anything like that, why can't they just fly real high and approach from the sky? Like, they were fighting a bunch of ships. uh, And by ships, I mean, like, naval ships. Like, they can't fly. Why aren't they using their advantage? Can they not fly? Did I miss that part? I don't know. Like, <laughs> for for Zaf supposedly being so much more technologically advanced than the Earth Alliance, the Minerva seems like a more inferior ship, right? It doesn't do the hover stuff. Or if it does, it's like so low to the ground, it looks like it's in the ocean. And it's it's low and green replacement or substitute, which is the, um, the, the Tannhauser. They only have one. And it seems equally as powerful. Like, it's not like one and it's more powerful, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I got the sentence that it was supposed to be equally as capable as the Archangel. I mean, it went through reentry without the Archangel's little, I don't know, like goo that it put on itself. So in my mind, it's like better than the Archangel, but then it's not it's not flying when it should. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I don't understand. It, it comes across to me as an inferior ship. But that comes up again and again, like in pretty much every battle on Earth. It could be solved if the Minerva would, like they could win if the Minerva would just fly away and, and approach from above. It doesn't have to sit there and engage in a naval battle. Yeah, shoot, use the Tannhauser from a distance, just snipe. Yeah. But they don't, It's for whatever reason. Personally, I I don't like the Minerva. I'm not Team Minerva. I think it's inferior to the Archangel and the Dominion. And it, it's an ugly design. The, the, the whole idea of having one Tannhauser doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why do you have that? Why do you have one? It's just got ugly colors. I, I don't like it. What do you think about it? Uh, I was fine with it. I mean, I figured they didn't want to, like, make something that looked exactly like the Archangel, so I thought it was good that they tried something different. I liked the gray. I liked the color scheme. 
I think we talked about this before. I think all the animation on the Archangel was beautiful, but there was something about the proportions that threw me off, and I at least didn't get that feeling with the Minerva. So I feel like I like it better from like a proportion perspective in the Archangel, but it also is a hmm. little... I, if, if I had to draw the Archangel from memory, it's more memorable and I could get closer. I, my, my drawing of the Minerva would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just like one triangle after the other, right? Like a row of triangles, a very long row. Yeah, there's like a big wing, you know, and then... Yeah, triangle nose and then big wing and then, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't care much for it, but whatever. They might as well just live in like the protected bridge. You know, they might as well just never go to the real bridge because they're always just saying screw it and going down to the, the armored bridge. Yeah, they always lower. Although, to their credit, I think the bridge was only hit once. Yeah, well, in the first half, and the second half takes quite a <laughs> quite more of a oh, beating. But... okay. <laughs> Maybe that's what I was referring to. I, uh, yeah, because <laughs> I, I powered through the whole series. But yeah, still, it's um, not on the top of my list as far as designs. And to to really continue that, line of thinking i didn't really see a lot of mobile suit designs zaft earth alliance gundam non-gundam that i really cared for what do you think of these uh these designs we got for our new our new gundams and a few of the new mobile suits like the uh the 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 zaku yeah let's go through them shall we let's start with the impulse what did you think of the impulse it was okay i guess as far as like the main gundam i guess it hit all the check marks, Brian, right? Okay, we got the mostly white, yeah. and then there's blue. It's Gundam mm-hmm. by the numbers. The shield and the gun, and then two beam sabers. It was okay. I'll say it's okay. Yeah. You know, even the whole transforming thing, that's standard issue. It's a standard Gundam that gets average marks. Did did you like it? Do you want one? Do you have one? So my thought on the impulse is a little bit of everything. Um, I think that you're right. It is Gundam by the numbers, but I think it also is like, for me, it's too similar to the strike. It has the same style packs it's the same colors it looks like a a toy version of the strike and i didn't like that now i think where i do like the impulse is when it equips the the uh the the, uh, anti-ship sword Uh pack i like that one and it changes to all red like i think that's a better color scheme okay and the the one where it it has the the high-powered cannons i like that one because it's like a black and green color scheme those are much more interesting I wish that they had flipped the red and the blue and the flight pack color scheme to draw a distinction between Shin and Kira. Because if you look at the, f- the flight version, it looks exactly like the Ale Strike. So I think if you had flipped the dominance between the blue and the red, it may have been more interesting. Okay. But I do have a master grade of the, the one with the ship swords. I think that one's cool, mainly for the swords. Um, I don't understand how the beam boomerang works at all, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that should work. <laughs> but yeah, other than, like I think the normal blue... One looks too much like a toy to me, and I, I'm not a huge fan of it. But the other the other two forms, I, I like those a little bit more. Just because we don't see those every day. <laughs> when you think of the Zaft incarnation of the Zaku, I, I think that over-proportioned shoulder shield is just so bizarre. Agree. I wrote down it's it's uh, too top-heavy because of those shields everywhere. There's too many shields. They aren't fighting in the Thunderbolt sector. They don't need this many shields Luna Maria only has one shield on her Zaku, what is it, Zaku Warrior. That one's a little better because it only has one and, like, not a huge backpack. It still just looks to me like a knockoff Zaku. So I, I guess maybe, Isaac, I think this is the case where, like, this Zaku is not for you or I. It's for someone who doesn't really care about the Universal Century Zaku and has no attachment to it. Like, this is their Zaku. I think we're the wrong audience for this Zaku, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. But as far as porting over the Zaku and trying to make it look different, I don't think it was that great. 
I do like how though Isaac, the Zaku's in this show were clearly meant to sell model kits because there's like every color under the rainbow. Yeah, and that's weird too. So it means they got a bunch of aces running around, but like the Zaku's brand new and they're at time of peace. Like, how did that happen? So. <laughs> <laughs> or, I don't know. Well, it's probably never mind. It's probably aces from the previous war that just got the Zaku and then custom painted it. Okay, that makes more sense. What about the goof? The goof ignited. I didn't care for it at all. It, it was. It's the same thing as the Zaku, where like they brought back an old suit and it's not changed enough to be interesting. Yeah, I think that one actually looks closer to the the Universal Century goof. So much so that I when I look at it, I'm like, ah, eh, it looks like a goof. I don't know. It, you know, it doesn't look that much different from the custom one in Eighth MS team if you just glance at it real quick. Other than the, yeah. the giant shield, which is probably too big, but we'll see the same thing later on. <laughs> what did you think about Heinz orange one? I know you like orange suits. Uh, it was interesting looking. It actually did give me some flashbacks of the um, what's it called, Messers from uh, Hathaway. Anyways, yeah, it did kind of remind me of them, but like uh, he was around so briefly that it, it, it was inconsequential. <laughs> you know, it it was really just a custom colored suit, yeah. so you know him. You know, also, he he must be on the rare list of pilots that want their suit the same color as their hair. <laughs> well, yeah, th- I think this is a very, like, Captain Planet Power Rangers thing, right? Where, like, if you're the Red Ranger, you wear red clothing and you've got the red suit. And... Oh, how silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His sword was kind of neat, but yeah, I, I agree. What about our new, like, enemy Gundams? The Chaos, the Abyss, and the Gaia? Well, let's start with the Chaos. This is the green one with, like, the weird mobile armor mode. The cylinders are kind of interesting that it's got, those little booster cylinders, but its transformed mode is, I don't know, it almost looks like it's supposed to be kind of aquatic or something, but it, it's very bizarre looking. Yeah, I I don't like its little mobile armor mode. Um, I, I, I give it a mediocre. Yeah, I thought the mobile armor mode was okay. It definitely looks very Xeon inspired, even if it looks a little strange. It looks very Zeta. Yeah, yeah, it definitely gives you the, the Zeta, double Zeta vibe, right? But I feel here the mobile suit mode is very clunky, whereas I didn't feel that in Zeta and double Zeta. The Zeta and double Zeta designs are just wild, right? Especially the double Zeta ones, but they're pretty cool. Like, And they, they go pretty seamlessly back and forth, even if it's fairly wild looking. I don't feel like the mobile suit modes look clunky. I feel like this mobile suit mode looks clunky, especially with those really out of place like feet spikes. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah. Look, I guess those are supposed to be the, the pincers or whatever, so I get it, but I'd forgive those more if like we actually saw it kick and like spear somebody, you know, but we don't. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh how about the Abyss Gundam? That's the aquatic one. Oh, I didn't care for it at all. It was like it, it comes off as like a G Gundam whale gundam or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I thought this one was the best of the three. I, I actually like, because really? I really bought it as an aquatic mobile suit. Like I thought, all right, this one looks like it could swim. I mean, yeah, but like it, it looks ridiculous with the big shoulder things on it. You know, it, it's it's a little wacky. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree. So out of the water in, in mobile suit mode, it definitely looks like it belongs in G Gundam. And maybe that just means that that underwater you should just not have a suit and you should have a mobile armor. See, the, the problem with that, though, is that mobile armors always do bad no matter where they go <laughs> when they fight yeah. a Gundam. I feel like the Abyss did okay in the show, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not on my, like, to buy list or, or whatnot. But, and, uh, and, of course, the Gaia. We get another one with a, a Baku mode, the, the dog mode yeah, or whatever. The, what, what did you think about that one? It looked very Atherin. 
you know, this looks like something Atherton mm-hmm. would have piloted if he would have gotten it, but he never did. Instead, it, it has this bizarre kind of wolf mode that we've never really seen a Gundam do in this series. But color scheme, I think I like it, but I just don't like the whole transforming into a wolf because that never helps. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, color scheme's great on this one. I think it has just enough red and yellow accents to look really neat. You know, I did not. I definitely did not like the Bakus in the first show, and I still don't really like them now, but I think this one was cooler than the ones that we saw in the first show. It still feels a little too Zoids to me. This one, though, it has the extra little wings on the back. It reminds me of, like, you know, the Gundam version of Black Lion from Voltron. That's a, that's a very good point. It's very Voltron-y. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to their credit, we don't see a lot of black Gundam, so it was a breath of fresh air. Okay, so I, there is one design in this show so far that I that I liked, and I would actually buy a model of it if I could find one. And that is the Savior Gundam. You probably don't like this Gundam, but I actually think this is the best design in the show. You just like the, I, su- I suppose the the placement of like its wings and its shield and stuff, or just that it was it was a red Gundam, but it looks better than Atherin's previous Gundam. I think this is the best-looking Gundam that Atherin has yes. in either of the shows. Yeah, I'll agree with that, definitely. And it's the most cohesive design in the sense that its backpack doesn't look out of place. Even if it's a little big, it's got the cool, like, VSBR look going for it. It's just the whole design is more cohesive than any of the other ones we've seen. The impulse is too geared towards, like, fitting all this stuff on its backpack and changing all these colors. Yeah. The three Zaf Gundams are, are too gimmicky for me. This is the only one that looks like the whole package. And it's got a cool, simple transformation. It reminds me of like the stuff from the Zeta era that just transforms into a simple jet. The only downside is Atherin has this thing, and he like never does anything with it, Isaac. I feel like in every battle, he just flies around, transforms a few times, and goes back to the ship. Yeah, I'd actually go a step further and say that I actually like its sort of uh, Starfighter kind of mode thing. You know, that it looks very... Um, like that's a kind of a classic starfighter look to it it's very charming right but um but but yeah i'd agree that as much as they said it's got all these new bells and whistles atherin really doesn't use it for much he's kind of already in kira's camp of you know we're only here to destroy the uh the mobile suits heads (laughs) yeah you get that same shot of him over and over shooting like their back and like they kind of just fall off to the side which again reuse animations that kind of an issue with this show just like the first one but but yeah, I like the Starfighter. You're right. I, I think it looks cool. It reminds me of a Transformer. The only thing I don't like is it has the giant crest on its head. I think that's too big. But ever, other than that, I think it's great. The only problem, Isaac, is they never made a Master Grade of this. They made a 1-100 scale years ago, and now it's like $100 for like a crappy, what was a $25 model huh. back in 2005. Wow, so you'd like it enough that you'd buy it. If they had one, uh, yeah, I'd probably buy one. I like the color. I think it's, we just don't get a lot of red Gundams, Isaac. I mean, I like the red Impulse and I like the Savior, so there's a theme here. Yeah, it's also on the short list of Gundams that are red and white. Yes, and yeah. that was actually something else I wanted to say. I think this would actually look cooler if they had done a little less red and a little more white or a little more black. Huh. It might be a little too much red, but uh, but I think they had a hit here, and I'm really sad that they didn't do anything with it in the show. Maybe they... If they used too much white, maybe they didn't want to look like uh, an orb astray. Yeah, yeah that's fair. So they, they were like, well, this is good enough a balance without too much black, which is what Atherin used to be in before. And maybe, I don't know, the more white means that he's kind of much more on the side of peace now. This is your red mobile suit that you were missing from the first show, right? I mean, you had Atherin's previous one before. What was it, Aegis Gundam? Well, yeah, that was okay. But then he went to the Justice, which is not quite red. It's like magenta, you know? It's like... Yeah. Not the best red, but... Um... 
No, but yeah. okay. Well, that, that's my opinion, listeners. I like the Savior Gundam, and I would buy one, but it's uh, it's too hard to find. So. You'll forget about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the grunts, Isaac? We saw a lot of old suits in this show. We saw the daggers, the estrays again, but we saw the Murasames in Orb. Those, I'm not a fan of those. They were okay. I mean, actually, no, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, I don't know if it was because of they put the beep team in them in the last series, but I like the estrays and the Murasame seem a little um, just kind of bland in their color design, right? Yeah, I feel like they were told to purposely make like a grunt design, like take your cool design and make it worse yeah. or like make it le- make it more bland. I think it's because it's too gray heavy in like the chest areas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It looks very, um, I don't know, like a, almost like it was a Gundam prototype or something. Yeah, it looks like an aerial bot, which is fine, but not in a good way. Walfeld had that gold one, which I guess was interesting. And oh, right, uh, it was it was too Hiyakushiki for me, and I, he shouldn't have gotten it. I think you know, like it maybe it should have gone to another character. Yeah, maybe Kigali. You know, I don't know. She, I mean, she was still out there in the Strike Rouge, right? Yeah, so. but I, she became so damsel in distress she forgot how to pilot. You know, yeah. <laughs> she she was too worried about the wedding drama and how she was forced to say yes. She should have seen like a ghost of her father telling her like not to do it, you know, and that, <laughs> that should have been what kind of drove her, mm. like Kira showing up and crashing the wedding despite, yeah. or being armed to the teeth, but, but whatever, it happened. No, I think you're exactly right on the damsel in distress thing. She should have resolved it through her own power, not from someone coming to get her. Yeah, it, it, I don't know why they made that decision, but whatever. Uh, what about the Wyndham, Isaac? I th- I like the Wyndham. I think it looks cool. I think it's a good, it's an evil-looking good guy suit, which is exactly probably what they were going for. It's got good colors. I think the the sinister part's in the head, you know? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's the ang- It's like the angularness of the head and the shoulders, right? It's an aggressive bunny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but I kind of like its minimalist design. It reminds me a lot of like the double O, uh, sorry, not the double O, Iron-Blooded Orphans type designs. You know, the mm, kind of yep, more skeletal, yep. very stretched out limbs type design. But um, it, I like how visually different it is. Yeah, I, I would almost go so far as to say that it, it almost looks like it's from a different show. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that actually exactly completely. <laughs> and then Isaac, maybe the most interesting, you know, we did get two mobile armors in the first half of this. Like flat out mobile armors. Yeah. We had the, I don't know how to say this, the Gels, the Gelsgi, the Gelsga. This is the one where it was like <clears throat> it had the the torso of a like a maybe a dagger or something, and then the bottom half was this spider looking thing. I thought that thing was like nightmare inducing. Yeah, it was very um, the way it kind of crawled around. It was very uh, icky. It kind of reminded me of a more sinister attempt at like a Zaku tank, right? Because like this is what they'd build if they had to throw something together to be powerful. But they, instead, they chose like walking legs instead of tank treads. <laughs> but uh, it was intimidating enough, and it served its purpose, right? It, ha- it had the shield, I think. Yeah, the beam, the big beam shield thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting. It, was, it reminded me of the Spider Slayers from the 1990s Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> Do you remember? Those? Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good con- comparison. Yeah, there was the Black Widow one, and then they go. They had like a tarantula one, and then they finally had like a scorpion <laughs> one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, we had the Zamzaza. The Zamzaza? I don't know. You know, I didn't mind it. I, I could see that being in like a UC side story. I didn't love it, didn't hate it. What, what did you think? It kind of seemed like the Earth Alliance determined that mobile armor should carry around big shields. Because this, <laughs> this thing was almost like a mobile shield, right? It, it could fly around. Yes. 
you know, support their Navy and then block the, um, protect their ships with a shield. So right. I liked how it looked. I just kind of wish it was more effective. You know, it didn't seem like it did a whole lot. It was, it was defeated within yeah. one battle. So yeah, it didn't last too long. It was just kind of weird. Like they were like dipping their toes into the mobile armor game here, Isaac, <laughs> which is weird, right? Because they started the last series in the bloody Valentine war, having only mobile armors, you know, yeah. they, they had, um, was it Mobius's? So then they built mobile suits and Gundams. Now they're kind of going back to just bigger mobile armors. It, it's kind of bizarre. Yeah, a little strange. Yeah. I mean, I guess I like it. It's, ch- it's a good change of pace. It's yeah. something interesting for the characters to fight yeah. against, I suppose. Very experimental. They, yeah, they had to pick something visually different than a mobile suit to fight. So those are the little yeah. sub-bosses to have. So I didn't hear a whole lot of winners on your side there, Isaac, uh, as you said. No. So for myself, though, I like the savior and the and the sword impulse. Yeah, the only thing I could possibly see myself building would be like a nuclear Wyndham. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to come with the nuclear yeah, attachment. I, I would have to customize the nukes and then, yeah. <laughs> that would be my entry at like the little anime expo we go to or something. <laughs> It'd be like, oh boy, this guy really went all out. He put the nukes on the Wyndham. <laughs> Every kit comes with a little, like a do-it-yourself uranium enrichment kit, you know, that you can actually make your own little nuke. Yeah, you get your little lead lead tweezers and, like, tongs, and you have to <laughs> you have to assemble it on your desk. <laughs> All right, Isaac, well, that, that about wraps up the first half of Sea Destiny here. So I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, look, I thought that the first half of this first half, so the first quarter of the series... I honestly thought we were we had a tight narrative. I thought we were on a nine score pace, a nine haro pace, and then we kind of just I don't know the ship started sputtering and we started falling down. Something was going wrong, and I think that was you know Kigali being a wet blanket, Kira coming back and just sort of destroying our whole cast that we had spent twenty ish episodes building up. You know, no one using simple communication which would solve all these problems. Maybe some wasted screen time there with Ray versus Hein. I'm going to have to come down from my nine Haro pace given the, the the second quarter of the show. So I think it's more like a seven and a half Haros. Wow. So before I give my vote, I'm going to try to temper it, stick it only to the first half. I, I've actually seen the whole series. I kind of got ahead of Brian and didn't hit the brakes. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have like three screens to work with. <laughs> Listeners, he was sending me angry texts like all day, every day about just <laughs> how it kept getting worse and and how he regretted everything and <laughs> and it was uh, it was quite funny to watch. I think I even told you I need like a Gundam break because of how bad the series got, and then yeah. I switched to like, all, other yeah. series like Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> yeah, he, I think he almost swore off Gundam for like yeah. a, a, a long time due to this show. So. Only Gundam Seed Destiny could destroy um, a Gundam podcast. <laughs> But we had, a, I feel like we had a, I would even say a strong start, a strong, good start. Oh, absolutely. It was solid. And then we, we lost engine one and um, <laughs> the plane started, we started losing altitude. And at this very moment, Brian, the plane is continuing to lose altitude. So for that reason, I'll give it a six out of 10 Haros. Yeah, we are, we are in a nosedive, uh, which is a shame. I, I, again, I think we started yeah. out real strong. We started out so strong, Isaac, that I was like, oh, I don't remember why this series is so bad then. Yeah. They just brought back too many people in a weird way and decided to just make it a main story, make, make everybody the main story in their own stories. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back probably in two weeks for disastrous conclusion to this uh to this saga <laughs> for the final crash <laughs> listeners the oxygen mass have fallen 
get ready. <laughs> All right, one last question, Isaac, before we sign off here. Oh, boy. Now that you've finished the show, are you more or less excited for the uh, Seed movie? No. <laughs> no. I am not excited for the Seed sequel movie. I don't know how it's going to go. If it's the same team behind Seed Destiny, I'm not going to be too happy to see it. And I have very <laughs> low expectations. Oh, you know what we didn't even talk about, Isaac? Oh. Was the, 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 the boob bounces. Oh, the boob bounce the counter. counter is back, people. Well, you know what? We have to do it at the end of the series because that's when you have the full count. <laughs> oh, true. I didn't count, though. Does that mean I got to go? I'm not watching this show again. I'm not watching this show a third time. Well, you're going to have to guess. You're going to have to, like, Google Mirror and, like, pull up the images from the episode she was in. <laughs> you don't have to watch the series, but that's what you have to do. <laughs> oh man well listeners look if all you care about is boob bounces destiny is your jam because every time she's on the screen there's just bouncing along all day and night is it implied that the chairman made certain enhancements to this lacus clone i think that there's those two characters that comment about how like her her costume is specifically geared towards um you know showing that off so of course well it's working for the chairman <laughs> anyway Take us away, Isaac. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail Blue Cosmos for the preservation of our blue and pure world. Good night, everybody.